Well, today we continue our study of Luke's gospel, and this passage that we're going to be looking at today might actually feel uh, just a little bit familiar to you, and it's not because we've preached it from the gospel of Luke, but if you've been here uh, for a little while, or at least the last few years, uh, we're going to look at a passage that we really kind of did a deep dive in Matthew's gospel. We spent a long time studying the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's gospel, and we're not going to go kind of as deep into that because that was an entire series uh, that we went through over a couple of months together. Uh, but I do want you to go ahead and you can turn uh, to Luke chapter 6. That will be our text for today. And uh, I got to just say that that sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount was probably one of my favorite sermon series we ever got to do uh, together. And we did that back in, in 2018. We called it The Blessed Life is where it started from. And, and you can find that on our website. Um, and I believe uh, as we look today, we'll see Luke has quite a different approach than Matthew does as he deals with the Sermon on the Mount and particularly what we're dealing with today, uh, these things are called beatitudes. And it's a, it's a funny thing because it's not a word you ever use outside of the scripture, I would imagine. Um, but the beatitudes are blessing statements that are given to us. And Matthew's gospel records about eight of them. Luke's gospel records about four. And some of you who might say like, I'm a little skeptical of that. Why aren't they not in agreement of that? Let's go back and remember Luke's purpose in writing and how it's different than Matthew's purpose in writing because the audiences are different, right? So Matthew is writing to a, a uniquely Jewish audience and so he speaks about things that will deal uniquely with the law. And Luke's writing to a Gentile audience who's not worried about the law at all and so he just leaves those parts out as, as he deals with his audience and so we'll see that this morning. Uh, we really understand that each gospel stands on its own and they overlap in certain areas, but they're giving us a perspective that shades the same picture for us a little bit differently and gives us some, some kind of uniqueness there. In Luke's case, uh, this passage of scripture that we're writing really stands out for us. And, and I think it's important uh, that, that we understand he's kind of trying to set a framework for us on how we can live a blessed life. And so let's start this morning in Luke chapter six, and we're going to read verse 17 and following. It says this, after coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because the power was coming out from him and healing them all. Then looking up at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry now because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Luke sets the scene for this Sermon on the Mount for us by saying that Jesus has called all of his disciples and he meets with them and a great number of people and there's some incredible things happening. There's people being healed, aren't there? I mean, you, you can imagine, can, can you just imagine a crowd 
trying to press forward and just touch Jesus so that they could be healed because the scripture just says the power was coming out of them. It was just a unique moment that was happening. But it also started by saying the crowds had come to hear him, to listen to him. And at this point, Jesus looks at his disciples and he begins to teach them about what it means to be blessed. We often see people use this word as a hashtag in their social media post. They say that I'm blessed, or maybe that you've answered that question recently by, by telling someone you're blessed when they asked how you're doing. And the word blessed just simply means to be happy. And, and so, so we might think about it in contrast about what we just read, and maybe most of us could think about what it means to be happy. Earlier this week, I had some events line up in my life that made for a wonderful day at work, a wonderful day at being at home and a wonderful day doing some things that I wanted to do and I was happy. I mean, it was, it was a happy day. It was a blessed day if you wanted to look at it that way on a superficial note. Maybe you've enjoyed a birthday this year and it was happy. I mean, it, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a blessed thing to have a happy birthday. Or maybe you came with us to the, the summer kickoff and you enjoyed some of the beautiful weather and the ice cream and the fellowship, I mean, it's fun. That, that's a blessed day, it's a happy day, but that's really getting only at the superficial nature of what's going on in our lives because we all know that you can have a, a happy day start and an end not very happy. We know that in the midst of a happy day, sorrow can come. We know that in the midst of a happy day, trials can come. I mean, those things are superficial. But these are different types of things that Jesus is talking about when he says to us, there's a way for you to be blessed. There's a way for you to be happy. Look specifically at those verses again when he says, blessed are you who are poor, blessed the king, uh, because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry now because you'll be filled. Blessed who weep because you will laugh. Blessed when people hate you because, and they exclude you and insult you and slander you uh, and your name is evil because of the son of man. Jesus is telling us there's a way to be happy and it actually comes through a relationship with him and his character being formed inside of us. There's blessing for you when your character begins to reflect the character of Christ. There's something for us there. Now this is counterintuitive, isn't it, to what the culture tells us because most of these characteristics that Jesus went over, I mean, if we're just running down the list, they don't seem to be that good. They don't seem to be a pathway towards happiness. I mean, blessed are you when you're poor. Hmm, are you? Blessed when, when you're hungry. I don't know. Blessed when, when, when you weep. That feels like that can't be true. How could it be possible for that to be? Our culture would look at these things and say, these are not useful for us. They're not useful for you. They're no good. And maybe they would even say, if you think these things are good, you're a weak person if you exhibit these things. But Jesus says, we're blessed. You know, today it's popular to quietly brag about your exploits. You may not do it by talking to all of your friends, but there's an entire world where humility's not appreciated in the least, is it? We, we talk about how great we are. We talk about how good things are going at work. We talk about our kids. We post about everything that they ever do and, and how wonderful our lives is. And, and we give this, this perfectly curated version that we want people to see while we subtly brag about how great everything is. For others, it's 
talking about their work or their school world where they're striving to get attention to be noticed. But Jesus is different. He says he wants your character to reflect things that nobody posts about, that nobody talks about, that nobody brags about. Because we understand that Jesus is talking about character. It makes a difference for us to be able to see that he's not talking about our station in life. You know, there's nothing noble about being poor in the same way that there's nothing noble about being rich. Those two things don't make a noble person. It's not noble to be hungry and it's certainly not noble to be full. It's important that we don't get lost in what he's saying in this direction because he's not talking about your station in life. These kinds of things might lead to a false humility where, where we feel like, well, if I have less, then, then I'm really honoring God. Or if, if I'm going through a difficult circumstance, I'm really honoring God. But that's not what he's talking about. As one author put it, Jesus is not telling us that to be good or righteous or holy, we need to, re, we need to be rich, nor do we need to be poor This is a matter of condition of our character and how Jesus is forming our character in his image. So he looks at his disciples and he says, blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. To put it another way, what he's saying is, happy are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Now when he's talking about being poor, he must not be talking about the condition of our bank account. A lot of people have argued this is exactly what it means. But that goes against the scripture. When we look at the scripture, scripture doesn't commend you to be poor, doesn't commend you to be rich. It tells you to be a good steward of the resources God gives you. That's it. But Jesus says something here that's very interesting. If it's not our bank accounts, not our retirement, it's not our possessions, what could it be? Well, to be poor means that you're not self-satisfied in your spirit. In fact, Matthew's gospel says, blessed are the poor in spirit. To be self-satisfied means that, that you're proud of who you are. And Jesus says that we're blessed when we're poor in spirit. So if we're not self-satisfied, then when we're poor in spirit means we're not puffed up. We're not living with pride. The promise that's given is really incredible because what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God is yours only when you find yourself Poor, not self-satisfied in spirit. When he speaks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about the rule and reign of Christ in our lives. And people struggle to define this. What does the kingdom of God mean? Well, the kingdom of God is often defined in some strange ways. People will, will, will say this and then kind of leave it for you. It's the already and not yet. Well, great. What does that mean? But I think if we explore that definition a little bit, we could kind of get there, right? It's the already because Christ is ruling right now in the hearts of those who follow him and his kingdom is being expanded day by day by day as people come into relationship with Christ. When he becomes the Lord of your life and you're letting him rule your life, that kingdom is being expanded. When we share our faith with people and they come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the kingdom is being expanded. That's the already. The not yet is that we know there's a kingdom that is going to come. He is going to rule. And so when we think about that, Christ the Savior, we have this promise of heaven and God's kingdom that is coming. Right now we're extending and expanding God's kingdom. And it's important that we understand that because if we don't see our need for a Savior this morning, we're not poor in spirit. 
See, there are all kinds of people that are not poor in spirit. They're very self-satisfied. You talk to them about a relationship and their need for Christ, and they say things like, I try to be a good person. Don't be fooled. That's a prideful person telling you that they've created their own standard. They're very self-satisfied. I'm the judge. I try to do what's right. I try to be nice to people. I try to do the right thing. And they miss the fact that that kind of righteousness falls short because we all try that and we've all failed at that. It doesn't work. To be poor in spirit recognizes that we're not going to be part of the kingdom of heaven without Christ. You won't be part of God's family. You won't be part of God's kingdom because you're self-satisfied. But the scripture says we must humble ourselves and admit that we need something outside of ourselves. We have to be willing to see that we're spiritually poor. The next two beatitudes or blessing statements actually take the same idea and build upon it in a different way. Luke wants all of us to see our need for Christ. So in verse 21, he says, blessed are you who are hungry now because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Those who are spiritually hungering for a relationship with Christ will be filled beyond measure, he says. They will be satisfied. And I think satisfaction is, is one of the greatest needs in our lives. We're all searching for it. You see people around you searching for it in everything that they do. They're grasping at things, trying to grab something that has meaning so that they can be satisfied. They want a job that brings meaning. They try to live through their children and, and accumulate meaning through the accomplishments of their children. They, they think money and possessions will bring them satisfaction and meaning. And when that doesn't work, they try to forget the world that they're living in, just trying to be satisfied for the moment. And they may turn to all kinds of things. They, they may turn to an addiction like alcohol. They may turn uh, to, to pleasure. They, they may just try to, to live for the next moment, to be satisfied through diversion. Or maybe they just go home at night and check out, turn on the television and mindlessly sit there or take a device and just scroll up, 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 trying to be satisfied. But we can't be. It doesn't work that way because we're all hungry, but we're missing it. When you hear people talk, you quickly learn what they're chasing, don't you? It doesn't take long. Just have dinner with somebody hang out with them for a little while and you'll learn what they're chasing. And we're all chasing something. And if you think you're not chasing something, you're mistaken. We're all chasing something. Listen to how the psalmist described one of his greatest longings. In Psalm 42, verse one, he says, as the deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God. What was he chasing? He said, I long, just like a deer wants a flowing stream to be satisfied from, I'm longing for that in my life. I'm longing for you, God, in the same way. And I thirst for you, the living God. I, I want this to be the thing that satisfies me. He says, when can I come and appear before you, God? When he's chasing that, you understand it really quickly, don't you? Now, let me ask you a question. Does that sound like you? If you claim the name of Christ this morning, is, 
Is that really what you're chasing? Is that the longing of your heart? Because I believe if many of us were honest this morning, we would have to admit that this isn't even close to the deepest longings of our hearts. And we wonder why we're not satisfied by these things. But Jesus said that those who seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, everything else would be added to them. All those things that that we think are so important would be added to us because they, they end up in the proper place in our lives. I think what we would have to admit this morning is that many of us are chasing things and hoping to be filled by things that aren't going to last. They last as long as the experience sometimes. They last for a minute sometimes. But we chase these things and we're not satisfied by them. And it's almost like The songwriter Andrew Peterson says, I just kept drinking from a shallow well only to thirst again. But Jesus, in the Gospel of John, said something that's pretty amazing, isn't it? He he used these, these I am statements to explain a little bit about who he was to people. And he said, I am the bread of life. I am. You'll be satisfied by me. Do you remember his story with The woman at the well, she thinks they're talking about water to draw from the well. And he says, I can give you something that will quench your thirst and you will never be thirsty again. And she says, where do you get this water? I want to go there. So I have to walk up here with this jar and keep, keep filling it up from this well. That would be amazing. And she doesn't realize that what he's saying is you're trying to drink from something over and over again to be satisfied. It will not work. You're only going to be satisfied in me. Well, that's the kind of feeling that we want when Jesus says, blessed are the hungry because they will be filled, satisfied in Christ. I wonder how we stay spiritually hungry then so that we're constantly staying spiritually filled. How do we nurture a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst that God can use over and over again in our lives to keep us filled and satisfied in things that matter? Well, it comes back to our relationship with Christ and diving into the word, understanding that as we look at the word, our hearts understand what it means to be filled by things that are eternal And we understand that our relationships and stuff and things and experiences just fall short of all that and just leave us wanting more. In fact, I think one of the great things about people who read the Bible is because they know what actually satisfies, it shows really clearly what doesn't. So we nurture this hunger in our lives by by turning to Christ and being filled by him over and over again. Jesus continues and he says, blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Now, could we go back to our original opening introduction and say that that feels funny. Blessed are you who weep. Happy are you who weep. How could that be? How would that work? What Jesus is saying is a good thing that you understand now how serious sin is in your life and that you're broken over it and you weep over it. When we're proud of our sin, we're not even close to the heart of God. And we do this sometimes subtly. We talk about past sins and we kind of revel in them a little bit, honestly. 
You know, when I was a younger person, I did this. <laughs> that doesn't feel like what Jesus is talking about. When we boast about sin, when we talk about things we've gotten away with or things we're planning to do that would be wrong or, or things in our past, it means we don't understand the scriptural warning to weep over our sin. It's always intrigued me how Jesus described eternal damnation, this place called hell, with these two characteristics. He said there's a continual weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping. Heaven's described as a place where there are no more tears. But this place, separated from God, eternal damnation, hell, is described as a place where people continually weep. And so Jesus says, weep now, laugh later. Well, what does he mean by that? He's saying that, that, that we have to understand that if we are going to fall with a life of God, it's, it's going to be hard. Because it means that we have to admit that we've maybe uh, turned away from God. It, it means that we have to admit that we've been unloving or, or unforgiving or harsh with people. And we come face to face with that reality and it hurts. When we look at the depth of our sin and our brokenness that we've introduced into our own lives, many times it actually causes us to weep. We look at our lives and, and just realize the hurt that we've brought into those things. But the good news is when we deal with our sin head on by coming to Jesus and throwing ourselves on his mercy, he takes that sin and the promise is that we will laugh, joy will come. And that's so much better than the alternative because if we don't deal with our sin, we're faced with eternal separation from God the Father, never to be rectified after that moment. See, you should make no mistake about this. God's mercy and his love for us, it knows no bounds, it's immeasurable. But there's a moment in our lives when, when our life ends, it's too late. We can't presume upon God's mercy at that moment because Jesus says there's a place of separation then. And so the encouragement that he gives us is the way towards happiness. You're blessed when you deal with those things now, not later. I don't know if you find it to be true in your life. I often feel like this is pastor confessional because you all stare at me when I say these things like, no, I've never been unforgiving towards anyone. Huh. You know, this is, this is just the way it feels to me though. We never want to deal with these things head on because the pain of dealing with it feels uncomfortable. And yet what we don't realize is that the rottenness of it of how we keep it and hold on to it and, and hold on to these things in our lives, it ultimately just delays what's coming anyway. When I was a kid, I was uh, much afraid of going to the doctor. Anytime they said the word shot, a meltdown would ensue. And I could literally whip myself into a frenzy over these things. Now, I gotta be honest with you, I still don't enjoy getting shots. But after you've had about 400 of them, you know, you kind of get over those kinds of things. And you realize, you know, if you tense up and get all, I mean, it's, it's worse, isn't it? Than just going in and dealing with it. Just give me the thing, let's move on. You see, sometimes we, we do that. We, we build these things up and we don't want to deal with it. And we don't want to face it. We don't want to confront it. So we run and we hide from it. But one day we have to pay the piper. 
One day we have to be confronted by this and it's either in this life or the life to come. And I promise you, you don't want to deal with it in the life to come because there's no remedy. It's too late. It's now. And so if I could this morning, I feel like I have to ask you to stop and consider this question. Are you saved? Has there ever been a time in your life where, where you realized you needed something outside of yourself? That you couldn't do it on your own. That this relationship with God was not repairable by any method that you could bring to the table. And you threw yourself on the mercy of God and believed that Jesus had died in your place on the cross and that you were saved. Have you ever done that? Because that's actually the beautiful thing about these blessing statements is that Jesus is moving us towards a pathway of happiness. You want to be happy? It starts with being poor in spirit. You want to be happy? It starts with being spiritually hungry and asking God to fill you. You want to be happy? It starts with allowing God to bring you face to face with those most uncomfortable things of your life and allowing him to deal with it through the cross of Jesus Christ so that you can experience joy. You're not gonna find happiness at the end of a rainbow. It won't be on a cruise or if you win a lottery or if you get a chance to, to go do all of the fun things that are on your bucket list. True happiness and satisfaction comes from a relationship with Christ. And that's what he was telling everyone 2,000 years ago. It runs through me, he says. Don't look out externally for your stuff. Look through me. Because when you find me, you'll find happiness. Look at verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil. Because of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. So he's moved from, you're starting to understand that you need a relationship with me, to now you've received it, and there's another pathway of happiness, and, and Jesus outlines the way for us in this life, and he doesn't leave out the consequence of following Christ or being a, a Christian. In fact, I would just remind you, if anyone ever told you that coming to Christ solved all of your problems or that you weren't gonna have problems anymore, this obliterates that. It's not true. Read the Bible. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Well, what do you mean? I thought coming to Christ took care of all my problems. No, it gives us the mechanism and the way for us to live this life and overcome those things because Jesus says, don't fear the trouble you're going to have. I've overcome the trouble. It's in me. Again, it's not inside of ourselves. So we look at these things and I don't know, but maybe you look at this promise that Jesus gives his, his followers and it's not what you expect because he said we should be happy when people hate us exclude us and insult us, slander us, call us evil. Be happy about that. Now, let's make a caveat here. Because you might feel like you fit this description right now. And you might feel on the outside people don't like you and they're mean to you and they exclude you. And it's important that we point out the last phrase of verse 22, isn't it? Could, could you look at that with me? Because of the son of man. 
not because you're a jerk. Can we be honest? Because of the son of man. If people don't like you because you're mean or you're difficult or you insult them and and you come home and say, people really treated me mean in traffic today. I was cutting them off and all this kind of stuff. They're really hateful. Well, you got what you deserved. That's not what he's talking about here. He says that our relationship in this to Christ often brings uncomfortable things and yet there's a blessing in it. All around the world, Christians know exactly what this is like. They know what it's like to be marked, singled out, excluded, insulted, hated because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And for many years in our country, it used to be that it might be a blessing in your life to claim the name of Christ. But I think that in our country, we're starting to reflect the world more than we are Christ. And so those days are changing, if not gone. So it's time for the church to be ready for this and understand that Jesus wasn't kidding when he said this. He said there was going to be a cost in following him. Every day I hear stories from around the world and even in our own congregation, our country, our city, of people who've been excluded or harmed because of their faith. Now this word excluded, it just means to be separated. They're singled out and not included. And in some cases, it's just simple, right? It's small things. We're not included in these social situations. We've been excluded because we don't kind of follow what everybody in the crowd wants to do. Well, that's one thing, isn't it? But in other cases, they've been told, don't apply for that job because of your beliefs. You're not towing the line in our country. And the line in our country is a movable thing all the time. And we have to understand that. Lost people move the line because what are they searching for? They're searching for meaning, right? And we know that we can't find meaning in things that are over here. We have to find it in Christ. But they don't agree with us on that. That's okay. Our job is not to be angry about that. Our job is to be blessed and happy because we've been identified with Christ when those things happen in our lives. So it may be today that there's some places that you're not going to find your welcome because you don't believe what the country's telling you about gender or you don't believe what the country's telling you about the issue of the day. That's fine. You have to understand that you're going to be on the outside. In the midst of that, Jesus says you're blessed, happy. Why is that? Well, it's because we're identified with him to be cursed or hated because of the name of Christ is a blessing. Uh, it, it's not that we're, we're trying to be obnoxiously fighting people with the faith. That's not what it is. Jesus didn't walk around fighting people all the time. He ministered. He taught. He healed. He was a presence that was different. And people didn't like him. If you follow Christ, there will come a day where you will be singled out separated, excluded, insulted, hated, just for being a Christian. And and, and each of us is going to have a choice to make. Will we bend to that or will we follow Christ? I think this is especially true and hard for all of my people pleasers in the room. I'm a people pleaser. It's hard. I like to be liked. Is that so wrong? It's better than liking to be hated, isn't it? I like to be liked. I don't like it when, when I'm on the wrong side of people. It's uncomfortable. It, it, it makes me feel like I'm on the outside. <laughs> well, that's what Jesus said we were going to be, is on the outside. 
excluded. So maybe we should be more comfortable in that than we are in, in trying to get people's attention or, or trying to, to, to live in, in the popular opinion of whatever the world's saying. Jesus says that we need to serve one of two masters. You only serve God or you'll serve people, culture, but you can't serve them both. Jesus said it would be a cause of rejoicing. Why is that? Well, he said it's because we're gaining a reward in heaven. And I know that's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's, it's hard to imagine that there's like a reward system in heaven, but the Bible speaks about it over and over again and tells us that God rewards the faithful because he's keeping a record of accounts. Everything that you've done to build the kingdom and honor the name of Jesus is in the record. It's a reward waiting to be given. And you understand that because God hasn't missed a thing. When you serve the poor, God knows it. When you go to the needy, God knows it. When you share your faith, God knows it. When you stand up against the culture at work or at school and say, hey, I don't think this is the direction that we need to be going because I don't think this is ultimately going to be good for us. God knows that. There's a reward for that. When we restrain evil in our community, God sees that. He knows it. Can I tell you something? There are no participation trophies given out in heaven. The rewards aren't equal. Now wait just a second. That doesn't seem fair. God's not worried about it. The rewards are given. You remember the parable of the steward? He rewarded those who were faithful. He gave them more than what they had. And he hands out these rewards and they're not the same for all of us. They're earned through being faithful to the king. And so we have this blessing that as we follow Christ, as we walk with the Lord, as we serve the Lord, God does great things in our lives, even when it's hard. Now, I hear people all the time talk about how they hope that persecutions will come to America. I don't really understand that kind of thinking. I don't want to live in that way. If you've ever been around the world and seen our brothers and sisters going through that, it's tough. But if they come, we must be ready to meet the day. We must be ready to stand. Or else we're gonna find that we really weren't spiritually as hungry as we thought we were and we were just chasing other stuff all the time, pretending to walk with the Lord. Those who are poor in spirit, are filled. Those who are hungry are filled, satisfied. God does that. And then God calls us to serve him and stand up for him and to be a witness in this world for him. And so before that day comes, let me ask you a question. What are you chasing? I mean, honestly, are you like the psalmist? You're so thirsty this morning, you can almost taste it. You just want to be satisfied with that good, deep, cool, living water only found in Christ? Or would you admit, like I have to admit all the time, I thought I was chasing Christ, but maybe this week I wasn't. I was chasing some other things. I got distracted. I found myself chasing things that really didn't matter. 
I found my ch- myself chasing things that weren't going to, to make me any happier. I, I was trying to, to fill a void and, and I just missed it, that it wasn't Christ. And what about you for the first time? Have you ever given your life to Christ? Have you ever come to a place where you, you set aside all the, the ways that you try to justify yourself and how good you are and what you've done to, to just say, I can't do it anymore. I need Christ. I need him to save me. I want to ask you to enter into a time of meditation and prayer right now. And I'm going to lead us through some guided prayer. And I want to start with anyone in the room this morning who may not be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never given your life to Christ, why not? Is it because you're spiritually proud? Are you trying to justify yourself by your own standard? There is no other standard but Christ, the Son of God who came and lived and died in our place. Why wouldn't you give your life to Christ today? It starts by confessing your need for him. Could you just say, I need you, Savior? I need you, Jesus, to save me. Change me. Make me into the image of who you want me to be. Form me today. And maybe right now there's some stuff that doesn't feel comfortable that you need to deal with, with God. Well, he knows it all anyway. Why wouldn't you confess your sin to the Lord this morning? And thank him for his mercy and his grace. And believers, what are you chasing? Are you chasing what the psalmist said? To be satisfied in God, Christ? Maybe this morning you found yourself empty. Won't you ask the Lord to fill you again? Aren't you grateful for the Holy Spirit? Ask the Spirit right now to fill you. Ask the Lord to remind you of what it's like to be on the happy pathway of life only found in Christ. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for this wonderful morning where we've been able to open your word. Father, my prayer is that it satisfied someone's soul for the first time this morning and that they've been saved in Christ. And Father, for those of us who are in Christ already, maybe we're feeling excluded. Father, would you remind us that that's a place that brings blessing? Maybe people have said things about us this week that aren't true. They've slandered our name because we're a Christian. But Father, that's okay. We don't have to justify ourselves. We just want to point them to Christ. Lord God, remind us of what it means to chase you with all of our hearts. Fill us, Lord, and let your word this week 
show us what is good and true and noble and pure and those things to dwell upon that we will be satisfied with. And let that be such a reflection, Lord, of who you are that we clearly see what will never satisfy. Help us, Lord. We ask in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.